Well, it's an honor to be here, privilege to be here. I'm a, a native of St. Louis area. Go Cards. Sorry. Uh, anybody? Yes, there we are. Uh, Rams moved to Los Angeles. We're good. So um, I, uh, my wife and I just recently moved here. We moved here last uh, August um, to be closer to family, um, to help out with family. I served 12 and a half years as a full-time firefighter back in Missouri um, before surrendering to the call of ministry to be a pastor of a church. So I served four years at a local church back in Missouri and then left there and came and whatever job I could find I had here. I worked as an event coordinator at the Meridian Center over in Newton. We live in Newton. Worked there for about a year. And in August, I just started teaching at Hutchinson Community College, teaching Firefighter One courses. And so that's kind of my background, where I'm at, why I'm here today. I met Christian this summer, and uh, he learned that I was a pastor and said, hey, would you like the opportunity to preach and at, a, at a chapel service? And I said, okay, let's do it. If you One time, and if you invite me back, then I guess I did all right. But if not, then it's great meeting you guys. So uh, if you'll turn with me to Isaiah 46, if you have a Bible or pad or whatever, or it's going to be up here on the screen, hopefully. I think I saw he had it up there. We're going to look at Isaiah 46, and Isaiah, just to remind us, Isaiah was a prophet to the tribe of Judah during the time of their decline, about the 8th century, and chapters 40 through 55 are actually prophecies about the 6th century, a time that they're in exile, and in these chapters, God's going to comfort his people who are in exile, and in chapter 46, God's directly going to do, how he's going to comfort them, is share with them, how am, how am I, the one true God, different than all the idols that you're worshiping? And so that's what we're going to see here in chapter 46. So if you'll look with me at chapter 46, verse 1. Bell crouches, Nabo cowers. Their idols are consigned to beasts and cattle. The images you carry are loaded as a burden for the weary animal. The gods cower, they crouch together. They are not able to rescue the burden, but they themselves go into captivity. Listen to me, house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel, who have been sustained from the womb, carried along since birth. I will be the same until your old age. I will bear you up when you turn gray. I have made you. I will carry you. I will bear and save you. Who will you compare me or make me equal to? Who will, measure me, who will you measure me with so that we should be like each other? Those who pour out their bags of gold and weigh out silver scales, they hire a goldsmith and he makes it into a god. Then they kneel down and bow, to, bow down to it. They lift it to their shoulder and bear it along. They set it in its place and there it stands. It does not budge from its place. They cry out to it, but it doesn't answer. It saves no one from its troubles. Remember this and be brave. Take it to heart, you tra- transgressors. Remember what happened long ago, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and no one is like me. I declare the end from the beginning and from long ago what is not yet done, saying my plan will take place and and I will do all my will. I call the bird of prey from the east, a man for my purpose from a far country. Yes, I've spoken, so I will also bring it about. I have planned it, I will also do it. Listen to me, you hard-hearted, far removed from justice. I will bring my justice near, it is not far away, and my salvation will not delay. I will put my salvation in Zion and my splendor in Israel. Will you pray with me? Lord, I pray right now you just speak to us through your word, through your scripture that would come alive in our hearts. It would burn our hearts with a desire to obey it, to follow it. 
um, to do what it says, Lord. And so right now, may we open our hearts and our minds to the truth of your word. And it's your name we pray. Amen. In verses 1 and 2, verse 1 specifically, we see him address two idols, um, two gods, Baal, Bel, and Nabo. These were the two uh, chief gods of Babylon. And so what I want to do first is to stop for a moment and talk about idols. Because this is one thing that I think of that we look at something like this next slide and we can say, yeah, this is idol worship. A golden calf, an Asherah pole, or like this next slide, we identify and can say, oh, those people are worshiping idols. But the problem is, is today, do we identify and can we identify the idols in our lives? So watch this little clip. I was watching TV the other day, and this show comes on with these religious fanatics. They were crazy. Well, you would think they were crazy if you didn't understand their culture and their religion. See, that's just the thing. They were worshipers of idols, and they took things to extremes. They painted their bodies. They wore these ridiculous costumes. They chanted. They danced. They, they made sacrifices to their idols. And they built these enormous temples to worship their idols. It seemed like their entire existence climaxed into this one scenario, this one over-the-top act of worship. You don't really relate, do you? Let's try it again. I was watching TV the other day, and this show comes on with these religious fanatics. They were crazy. See, that's just the thing. They were worshipers of idols, and they took things to extremes. They painted their bodies. They wore these ridiculous costumes. They chanted. They danced. They they made sacrifices to their idols. They built these enormous temples to worship their idols in. It seemed like their entire existence climaxed into this one scenario, this one over-the-top act of worship. Idol worship. It's not just about golden calves anymore. Now, before you run me out, I'm not saying football's an idol in general, okay? I am saying, and what this video is saying, is do we identify that the fact, can it, and acknowledge that the fact it could become an idol in our lives? Do we see things like sports and money and career and success as idols today that we worship, that we seek after, that we look to give us something that only God is to give us? And so what we have to do, Oz Guinness says this, he points this out. Idolatry is the most discussed problem in the Bible and one of the most powerful spiritual and intellectual concepts in the believer's arsenal. Yet for Christians today, it is one of the least meaningful notions. So ask ourselves, what is an idol? What is an idol? How do we identify in our lives? Here's what what a definition of idol. An idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts. If I have that, then I feel my life has meaning. Then I know I have value. Then I feel significant and secure. Tim Keller in his book, Counterfeit God, says this. When anything in life is absolute requirement for your happiness and self-worth, it is essentially an idol, something you are actually worshiping. An idol has such a controlling position in your heart that you can spend most of your passion and energy, your emotional and financial resource on it without a second thought. 
It can be a family and children, or career and making money, or achievement and critical acclaim, or saving face and social standing. It can be romantic relationship, peer approval, competence and skill, secure and comfortable circumstances, your beauty and your brains, a great political or social cause, your morality and virtue, or even success in Christian ministry. See, at the foundation, idol worship's about mirrors. That's a joke. You can laugh. It's actually about what's in the mirror. At the core of idol worship is self, is the fact that it's all about me, that this is my life, and I'm in control of my life, and I'm seeking my pleasure and what I want. Kyle Eidelman, in his book, God's at War, discusses three temples we worship at at today, and here's what he says. We worship at the temple of power, which includes success, um, money, and achievement. We worship at the temple of pleasure, which includes food, sex, and entertainment, And we worship at the temple of love, which includes romance, family, and the God of me. Eidelman also gives us three questions to help us identify the gods at war of our heart. And here's the three questions he asks. Number one, what are you most uh, disappointed with? Job, spouse, health, people? Because what you are most disappointed with often reveals where you put your hope. Number two, what you sacrifice your time and money for? Who or what you serve is revealed by how you spend your time and money. And number three, where do you go when you're hurt? Where do you go for comfort? Where you go when you're hurt creates an honest moment of worship. And so then once we identify our idols, once we see that, then this passage helps us, this this moment where God reveals himself through the difference between himself and idols, we can see what the difference is. And number one, if you go back and look at um, verses 2, 6, and 7, we see that idols are actually created. Isaiah 2, 8 says this, Their land is full of idols. They bow down to the work of their hands, to what their fingers have made. And so here, if I take this phone and I create it as an idol, I'm the one that carries it. I'm the one that puts it in its place of significance. I put it up on its shelf. The only reason it's actually a god is because I, the worshiper, decided that it's a god. I make it a God. It's a created being. It can't respond to me. It can't do anything. Wherever I put it, that's where it ends up. And idols are created beings. Idols are created things. Exodus 32, one of the best known idols um, areas we remember. Exodus 32, Aaron answered them, take off the gold rings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So that all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him, and he made it into an idol cast in the shape of a goat calf. Fashioned it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. You might think that's crazy. That they just took off their jewelry. He just formed it into a calf. He raises it up, and he says, this is your God that brought you out of Egypt. Really? We look at that, though, and say they're crazy. And could it be that we're doing the same thing? That we're worshiping idols today in our lives that we're not aware of. And we're not looking and taking a serious uh, look at our lives and saying, hey, what am I putting before God? We have to remember that we can deceive ourselves. That we can harden our hearts to the truths of God's word. That we can even think we're doing the right thing and still be in the wrong 
There was a time when the north tribes and the south tribes were divided, and the south tribes of Judah would have good kings that would come in and, and would try and turn the people's heart to worshiping God, and they would for a, a time. But the thing they didn't do, they didn't go and destroy the idols they were worshiping. They actually worshiped God and their idols. And Second Kings says this, 17, 1741, even while these people were worshiping the Lord, they were serving the idols. To this day, their children and grandchildren continue to do as their ancestors did. So here's the difference. Another difference between idols and gods that we have in this passage. God is to be the only one we're worshiping. God is to have no, we are to have no other gods before him because he is the one true God. He is the only God. He is actually in a category all by himself. If you go back and look at verses 9 through 11, 3 through 5, he says, who will you compare me with? Who will you um, make me equal to? And so here's the three things about God that makes him different. Number one, he is the creator. He's the one that creates. He's the one that carries. He's the only one that can save. God is not made. He is eternal. He is beginning, the end, the alpha, the omega. He is the sustainer and controller of all things. He does not bow down to creation. Creation is to bow down to him. And we have got it backwards if we think that God is here to provide for our needs solely, that that's the reason he exists. Number two, God is 100% complete. He needs nothing, not even us. He has been and always will be God. Unlike the phone, it takes my acknowledgement to make it a God. It does not matter whether you or I worship God and acknowledge He is God. He will and always be God. Number three, God has a per. Oh, sorry. Here's one thing I had about this, about this 100% complete. Is for instance, we make the comment, bring glory to God, right? You ever heard that? Anybody say, bring glory to God? The thing about that is, is when we say that, we don't make more of God. God is glory us. And so when we bring glory to God, we actually are only assigned to him what is already him, what he already is. And so in that completeness, we don't make more of him. We, he doesn't need our worship. He doesn't need our praise. He doesn't need us. We need him. And number three, God has a purpose and a plan which he is working to complete, and that plan and purpose will be fulfilled. Think about tornadoes and hurricanes for a moment. Do you think the creator and sustainer of all things has control of tornadoes and hurricanes? Yes? Okay? Do you think they're a part of his plan? Yes, no. Listen to what Job 37 has. He loads the thick cloud with moisture. The clouds scatter his lightning. They turn around and around by his guidance to accomplish all that he commands them on the face of the inhabitable world. Whether for correction or for his land or for love, he causes it to happen. And Amos 3.6, It is is a trumpet blown in the city and the people are not afraid. Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? You know, if we struggle with this fact of understanding and believing this fact that hurricanes or tornadoes are part of his plan, do you know why that is? It's because they interrupt the worship of self. 
They compete with the idol of self. My plan, that's not a part of my plan, that ruins my possessions, that interferes with my life, that interferes with what I want to do, and that can't be what God wants to do. But there is one plan that, that we may not have a problem with, because it was his plan to send his son to this earth, born of a virgin, to be ridiculed, spit upon, beaten, scourged, and crucified on a cross for a crime he did not commit. To pay a penalty for a price and for our sins that we could experience eternal life. And there's two ways to look at that. I have a problem with that because I'm good, I don't need saving. Or I don't have a problem with that because that's good news for me. As I look at my, my lostness and I look at the idol of me, that's great, I have a salvation. We need saving, and it is good news. God is the only one that can save. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So what does it mean to confess Jesus is Lord? It means to acknowledge that I acknowledge that my life is not my own, that he is master and I am his bondservant. He is the only one that can meet my needs. He is the only one that can carry me through the storms of life. He is the only one that can give me purpose and meaning to my life and the life that he has a plan for. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 is great. We always go 2, 8, and 9, but we never go to verse 10. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, for us, in order to follow his plan to do his works, we have to die to self. We have to acknowledge the idols in our lives, get rid of them, and replace them with complete adoration and devotion of God. Loving God with all my heart, all my soul, all my strength, and all my mind. A short summary of Isaiah 46 could be this. In the end, the Lord will humiliate the idols of human self-worship and will demonstrate that he is the one true God. As I was preparing this message uh, Thursday, a single friend of mine um, liked or shared a, um, an article on Facebook. And the title of the article was this, Marriage Isn't Met to Meet Our Needs. And I was wondering why a single guy in seminary was sharing this article. And as I read the article, I realized why he might um, why this might mean so much to him. Because if marriage is meant to meet our needs, then that would mean his needs as a single person are not being met. That as a single person, he is incomplete. And so the fact is, as we look at it, marriage isn't meant to meet that. God is meant to meet that. And here's what the end of this was, the, what tied it together for me with this message. Here's what the end of the article said. We are, not, we are not made to gaze forever into the eyes of another human being and find in them all we need. If we think we are, we are bound to be disappointed. If my dear wife ever thought I could uh, be everything to her, she certainly knows better now, right, honey? And of course, if I think marriage is there to meet my needs, what do I do when it fails to meet them? This irony 
that we expect so much of marriage but find it disappointing is an irony scripture understands perfectly. It's called idolatry. If I purpose any goal above the honor of God, I'm worshiping an idol. The moment I make my relationship the goal of my life, I doom myself to disappointment. Surprisingly, the key of a good marriage isn't to pursue a good marriage, but to pursue the honor of God. One of the things in my own life I struggled with, everybody respects and looks up to a firefighter, right? See the guy pull off the truck, wearing the gear in the tank, and walking in like, you're so cool, you know? Everybody's like, oh, what are they doing? And I, I had to make that decision in 2011 to walk away from that and go in to be a pastor of a church. And I saw, somewhat went into a, a ministry again that people kind of looked up to that. They looked up to pastors. They, they didn't like all the pastors because they don't like everything you have to say. But then when I had to leave that and come here and I was an event coordinator, yeah, it doesn't gain much respect. And it really struck at that idol of Where do I look for my significance? Where do I look for my purpose? Where do I look to provide money? Because our income was cut in third, in two-thirds, really, from that. And so in ourselves, in this moment, as we go, there's some questions I want to leave you with. Is asking yourself, where do you find purpose and meaning? Who or what do you seek to meet your needs? What do you sacrifice your time and money for? Where do you turn for comfort? Where do you go when you're hurt? What are you most disappointed with? What thing in your life, if tomorrow morning it was no longer there or you could no longer do it, would devastate your life? That you would no longer have a reason to go on living? I want you to know this. As you leave this place, no matter what your answer is to that, there is a God who desires to be your everything. Not one of many gods, but the one true God. He deserves our praise and worship as the creator and stainer of all, the beginning of the wind, the beginning and the end, the one who made you and me. He is all powerful. He will not fail you. He will provide for you. He will carry you. He will lift you up. He will always be there for you. He is all-knowing. He has a plan that will never fail. He will accomplish his purpose. And in him, there is salvation. My question is, is do you know him? If you do, are you seeking after him more than anything else in your life? What today is keeping you from the life only God can give you? Will you pray with me? Just right now as the praise team comes and as they close out tonight, just want you to think about those things. Where do you find your significance? What idols are you worshiping? What temple are you worshiping at? Success, money, family, self? Take some time and find that idol and put that idol to death and seek after Christ.